Cast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Kathy Zaka. Hi, I'm Susan Offen. And I'm Laura Potter. And we're your host today for Pure Truth. We want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for listening. Today, our topic will be praying the prodigal's home. And our scripture for today is from 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That's good. All right, you know, this is a topic that I've wanted to do for a while now. And there are many of us who have a prodigal that they're praying for, and we felt it was really important to talk about it. Right. So let's dive in. A prodigal is a wayward son or daughter of God who is rebelling against godly principles that were taught in the home. So how many of us can say that our children have done or said something that we disapprove of? I know I can, but I also have to remember that I was a child once, too. And I said I did some things that my parents definitely didn't approve of. You guys oh, yeah. relate. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. yeah, parenting's not always easy. And it's even more difficult raising our children today because of all the worldly influences that are readily available. But no matter what, it's our job to raise and steward our children to know the Lord intimately. We can't just send our, our children to church every Sunday and expect the church to teach them all that they should know about the Lord, right? Nope. No. It's our job as parents to teach them about the Lord. Yeah. We must be an example at home in everything we do, because once they leave home and are living on their own, and the difficulties of life begin to come in, they will remember what they were taught as a child, either good or bad. So again, as parents, we have a huge responsibility to teach our children the things of God. We are to be good stewards of this wonderful blessing that God gave us. And because this is so important, we want to share some of our own experiences and strategies that will help you in praying your prodigal son or daughter home. Our hope is that it encourages, inspires, and helps if you are experiencing or have experienced this yourself. Susan, you want to get us started? Sure. I just want to read the scripture in Luke 15, 1 through 2. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. (laughs) Jesus replied by telling three stories or parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. All three can be summarized as lost people matter to God. That's Mm -hmm. good. In the lost sheep parable, it may seem foolish for the shepherd to leave the 99 sheep to go search for just one, but the shepherd knew that the 99 would be safe in the sheepfold, whereas the lost sheep was in danger. Because each sheep was of high value, the shepherd knew it was worthwhile to search diligently for the lost one. God's love for each individual is so great that he seeks each one out and rejoices when he or she is found. You know, this always happens in the church where 
you know, the enemy just wants to get a person to stay home and not, you know, yeah, just on their own where the enemy, he can attack them. Right. right. But, you know, when we're together, that's where the Holy Spirit comes and we work as a community and... It's all about the unity with yeah, the church. Right. You yeah. can be attacked very easily in your mind when you're separated from other people. That when you're with a group of people, they can encourage you and lift you up and right. help you think, okay, yeah. I'm not alone in this. Right. But when you're on your own, those thoughts come that yeah. you are alone and then you feel defeated. We all experience that. Yes, yeah, definitely. Even now, you know, as, as much as we have that intimate relationship with the Lord, but when we're alone, the devil comes, maybe mm-hmm. he attacks, and he yeah. is not nice about it. And it's harder to fight those thoughts when yes. you're by yourself, right? Exactly. So true. Mm-hmm. Jesus associated with sinners because he wanted to bring the lost sheep, the gospel of God's kingdom. These were people considered beyond hope. Before we became believers, God sought us, and his love is still seeking those who are yet lost. We may be un- unable to understand a God who would forgive sinners who come to him for mercy, but a God who tenderly searches for sinners and then joyfully forgives them must possess an extraordinary love. This is the kind of love that prompted Jesus to come to earth to search for lost people and save them. This is the extraordinary love that God has for each one of us. He's always seeking us. The lost coin parable tells about a woman who had 10 silver coins and lost one. Palestinian women received 10 silver coins as a wedding gift. Besides their monetary value, these coins held sentimental value like that of a wedding ring. And to lose one would be extremely distressing. Just as a woman would rejoice at finding her lost coin or ring, so the angels would rejoice over a repentant sinner. Each person, every single one of us, is precious to God. Yeah. He grieves over every loss and rejoices when one of his children's found and brought into the kingdom. Mm-hmm. In the lost son parable, the younger son, like many who are rebellious in nature and immature, want to be free to live as he pleased, and he had to hit bottom before he came to his senses. It often takes great struggle, sorrow, and tragedy to cause people to look to the only one who can help them. That right there is one of the hardest parts about being a parent. Yeah. You know, none of us uh, want our children to hit rock bottom before coming to their senses. Right. We don't want them to go through trials and tribulation and tragedy, mm-hmm. but we have to look at the bigger picture. How are they going to learn unless we let them fall or fail? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yes. I had to do this several times with my oldest son. It was gut wrenching and heartbreaking, but he made the choices, and there are consequences to the choices you make. Has it made him stronger? Yes, absolutely. You know, he's learned a lot from the mistakes he's made. And just like God still loves each of us through our sins and mistakes, my husband and I both have loved him through all of, all of his too. Yeah. I'm still praying. I'm still trusting and having faith that God will bring our prodigal back into his fold. Yep. Yeah. You know, the father in the parable is a picture of the love of God, but the prodigal son in this story is a picture of the life of sin. By reading the story and witnessing the restoration of the son, we also see why God should matter to lost people. Mm-hmm. In Luke fifteen eleven through 12, and he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. The very fact he's asking for his inheritance early was considered a very offensive act during this age and time. That would be like saying, hey, dad, can you die so I can get my inheritance now? (laughs) (laughs) This younger son was showing he wanted independence from his father. This is where all sin starts. 
the parallels of our relationship with God. When we think we can live independently from God, we eventually hit a point of trial and tribulation where we recognize that only He can help us and that we are powerless without Him. Mm -hmm. There is a streak of rebellion in each one of us. It started in the Garden of Eden, and we want independence from God's control over our lives and God's credit for our lives. We want to control our own lives. Oh, man, I've lived that for a long time. It's a hard giving up that control. Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to. Submitting. It's so much better if you do. Mm -hmm. The father agreed to give his son his inheritance, which would have been extremely rare. So the younger son took his inheritance, and in Luke 15, 13, it says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and then he squandered his property in reckless living. He relocated to a pagan country, and it was complete rebellion against what his father believed in. This reminds me of a time in my life when I think, I think I was around 12, and my sister left for college. There were five of us kids, so the house started feeling a lot emptier. And she didn't quite finish her first year of college before she took off to live in another state with her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. I was so I was so sad that she was actually gone. Yeah, that left you alone with mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, and my other brother. Yeah, yeah. but mm-hmm. um, anyway, I didn't know what all of this meant. Needless to say, my parents were not pleased at all, and the tuition money was spent already for that year of college. Wow! So they lost out on their money. Yeah. Wow. I wrote her letters that I missed her and waited in expectancy for letters back. She went away for years. I mean, she would occasionally write back, but still, Mm -hmm. it's just a big gap when you don't really. And you were 12. Yeah. You know, and it's like you look up to your sister at that time. Exactly. You know, I mean, she would, she would just do fun things for me and she'd put makeup on me and Mm -hmm. make me feel, you know, like big sister stuff. yeah. Yeah. Um, there were some visits here and there, but it felt like she moved to a foreign land. She was having a grand time away in a much warmer weather where she got to enjoy what she loved so much, which was the beach. Mm. Yeah. And then things got pretty bad in her life with her boyfriend, and she came back to home to live with us this one summer. And she was not in a good place emotionally, so there were some challenging moments to be around her. Mm-hmm. I think I was 16 at that time. And she came back, yeah. Yeah, and the dynamics in her house changed, as it always does when one member of the family is either left or comes back to live after experiencing life on their own. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Right? It wasn't long before she took off again to live in the South. This continued until I was in college in Washington, D.C., and so we were five hours away from each other at that point. Mm. She was in Virginia. And senior year, she told me she was expecting a baby, and I wasn't able to make the birth, of my niece, but I got there soon after she was born. And as well, it wasn't long before my sister decided to finally move back north to be near family and start fresh with her beautiful daughter. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, you know, when in back to the prodigal son mm-hmm. story, when he relocated to a pagan country, he no longer had to submit to his father's authority. He no longer had to receive his father's permission. Right. And he no longer had to obey his father's rules. He was his own man, yeah. not his father's son. Mm-hmm. So no one knew who his family was in this foreign country. He was just trying to make a name for himself. Just like how we try to live our lives independent of God's authority and take all the credit for our own accomplishments. Mm. 
You know, and like the Garden of Eden, the first sin was a result of human ambition that sought to be like God, that old serpent mm-hmm. trying to convince us, right? Yeah. Right. Still working hard today, too. Yeah. Like the prodigal son, we don't want the father to be in control, but we want him to give us what we want. Mm-hmm. The fact that he asked for his money showed he couldn't make it on his own, but he was determined to live independently. Right. So he wanted to be a self-made man. This is the desire that motivates a life of sin. Sin desires control over life so that we can take credit for life itself, not acknowledging our true God is in control of our lives and expressing full gratitude for all he is and his provision. Yeah, yeah. it's just hard to see that when you're young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really yeah. In Luke fifteen fourteen through 17, it says, And when we had spent everything, he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And according to Moses' law, pigs were unclean animals. Right. right. So this meant that pigs could not be eaten or used for sacrifices. To protect themselves from defilement, Jews would not eat or even touch pigs. For a Jew to stoop to feeding pigs was a great humiliation. Right. And for his son in the story to eat food that pigs had touched was to be degraded beyond belief. Right. He had truly sunk to the depths. Yeah. I mean, my dad used to call, he had to go out and they called it slopping the pigs. Yeah. We and had, we had and pigs. basically, that was the garbage scraps yes. from the kitchen the from when right. my, my grandmother would cook. So that's what he was hoping to eat yes. was the garbage scraps. Yes, and it's just thrown in the mud, like yeah. it's there's in a trough, right, with other pigs, right. Yeah, that's gross. <laughs> <laughs> when wow. he came to himself, he said, "How is it the servants in my father's house have more food to eat than I do?" And he began to recognize how good his father had been all along. Mm-hmm. He knew the servants were well taken care of while he was one with the pigs. Oh, man. <laughs> he came to, to the end of himself, which is like repentance. He'd had enough and decided to return home to his father. That's what happens when life catches up to us and strips us of our pride. Oh, yeah. The Nothing fu- like starvation. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wake you up. And the father never did the leaving. The prodigal son did. Right. Mm-hmm. Our father God never leaves us. Mm, that's good. He never gives up on us and patiently awaits our return to him. In Hebrews thirteen five, Jesus says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Right. And in Luke fifteen, twenty through twenty four it says, And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And can you imagine that feeling? And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son was dead and he is alive again. He is, was lost, and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's good. Yeah. In the first two stories, the seeker actually looked for the coin and, and the sheep, which couldn't return by themselves. Right. In this story, the father watched and waited. He was dealing with a human being with a will of his own. But he was ready to greet his son if he returned. 
In the same way, God's love is constant, patient, and welcoming. He will search for us and give us opportunities to respond, but he will not force us to come to him. And like the father in the story, God waits patiently for us to come to our senses. Yeah, he does. You know, I was definitely stubborn. I was selfish, angry, harbored resentment towards many people, and I was self-righteous. But God didn't give up on me. He pursued me lovingly and patiently. And even though I went to church when I was younger, I didn't fully accept the Lord as my Savior until I was 31 years old. That's a story for another episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for all the moms and dads that are still praying for your children, don't ever give up hope. God hears your prayers. I have four children. Both of my daughters know the Lord, and I am so thankful for that. Both of my sons are prodigals that I have been praying and contending for, and I know God will bring them home soon. And I decree and declare it in the name of Jesus. And they know Jesus. They do. They're uh, just running right now. They're running right now. Mm-hmm. They're coming home. Mm-hmm. When doing research for this episode, I was so encouraged by some of the testimonies. I'm excited for what's to come to both of my son's lives. I know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I found several different articles that had some great information that I want to share with you. The first article was on NE, or kneeregister.com. And I love what it says about the prodigal son. It says, what do the actions of the prodigal son teach us? They teach us the depths to which our own misuse of freedom will bring us. And if we are bent on leaving God, things will go badly for us. We will be humiliated in the uncaring world. The farther we get from the Father's loving care, the worse off we will be. And our best course is to return to God and His forgiveness. The truth is, and this applies to all parents, I don't want my children to walk away from God. I don't want them to learn things the hard way. I don't want them to suffer or to be hurt. I think we can all say that. Oh, yeah, Yeah, definitely. I don't want them to be bound in chains, and I want the opposite of all that for my children, which is peace and freedom, you know? Mm -hmm. But I also must remember that I am a steward over them, and as much as I don't want them to suffer, I must trust that God has a plan for them, and He loves my children even more than I do. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. That includes our children. Yep. We must be mindful that we work for God. God created the earth and everything in it. Therefore, God is the owner, and we are stewards of the things of the earth, such as money, tangible things, and people, which includes our children. We are to be good stewards of the things the Lord gives us. The definition of stewardship is the job of supervising or taking care of something. As good stewards, we are to be wise and kind. In Matthew ten sixteen, Jesus tells his disciples to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. The second article I found is titled Gentle Christian Parenting, and it says, All parents are managers as God's servants in caring for the children given to us. Our children belong to God, but He has tasked us with protecting and building them up into His kingdom. We are called to manage our children under submission to Christ in accordance with the principles He has established. We are to keep watch over their souls as those who will give an account. As parents, it is our responsibility to watch over their souls and to teach them about the things of God. So every believing parent hopes their child will know God, have faith, and grow deep spiritual roots. We want them to know where to turn when trials or tribulations come up in their lives. And that is God. He is our source for everything that we need here on earth. And the last article I found is titled Stewardship of Our Children. And it has some great information that I want to share. The article says, God holds steward parents responsible for setting spiritual boundaries for their children. And I like that it says steward parents because that's what we are. We are stewards over our children. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the very first things a child learns at home is where the boundaries are. 
If there is no boundary mm-hmm. and correction, there is no love. Right. There may be incidental boundaries such as curfews, chores, or other responsibilities. However, in setting spiritual boundaries regarding morality and choices, God wants his word to be the foundation. Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's not just boundaries at home that matter. It's also the spiritual boundaries regarding morality and making good choices that make a huge difference and impact in a child's life. Once we teach them those boundaries, they will always have them in their heart. And when they are exposed to worldly ways, they will know right from wrong. Right, right. It's so important as parents for us to teach them all of these things because it will impact them in a good or positive way when they're older. The article also says, God holds steward parents responsible for setting spiritual direction for their children. Many parents want great things for their children. However, parents must emphasize godly direction and behavior. Son, I will support you even if you want to be a ditch digger when you grow up. As long as you're a ditch digger that pleases the Lord. Yep. God holds steward parents responsible for encouraging spiritual growth for their children. There comes a time when a child chooses what he or she will do with their parents' faith. For example, see the life of Jacob and how the knowledge of God grew from a tool in the hands of a deceitful child to a vow of service to a recognition that he was the God of his father, to a fear of the God of his father, to wrestling with the God of his father, to becoming Jacob's or Israel's own God. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's a lot there. Process. <laughs> yeah. Children must grow in their faith in God and learn to put their own trust in Him. However, steward parents cannot sit idly by and hope that their children will be what God wants them to be. It begins with growing ourselves and teaching our children that our family that our family values growing like Christ more than anything else. It's a lot of hard work. It is. Yeah, I think it's, it's so important. Yeah, and just, you know, that we're all human. I mean... I just think sometimes growing up, I thought my parents were perfect mm-hmm. and they never did anything wrong right. and nothing could change that. But, you know, your kids knowing that you're human and yes. you make mistakes, too. Is we're going to make mistakes. Key. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then telling them how you got through it or right. whatever mistake you made or. They're watching us all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And so we need to live it out. In front of them. Right. How do we react when we have arguments? How do we react when we were wrong? Or when we make mistakes, when, right? Right, when we make a mistake. Right. It's okay to admit to your kids you made a mistake, you know? Yeah. That's a good thing because it shows how human you are, but how hard you are trying to do right. the right thing. Right. Because right. they'll imitate that when they get older. Right. You know, uh, so. That's so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God holds steward parents responsible for giving spiritual counsel for their children. Right. You know, while at home, children are obligated to honor their parents by their obedience. Parent stewards need to cultivate an open relationship where they can offer godly counsel to their children and help them work through their problems in God-honoring ways. However, in God's plan, there comes a time when the children leave their father or mother and cleave to their spouse. When that happens, the children are still to honor their father and mother, but there's a difference now. The children are not under their authority anymore because they have established their own home. It should be that when a child has difficulty at work with children, with their spouse, or with friends, that the steward parents, as counselors, not as administrators, are always ready to listen, but ultimately to point them to Jesus and his and to his example and teaching. Mm-hmm. Being a good steward and teaching our children the ways of God are vital to their success as an adult, but it's also important for us to pray for them. Yes, yes definitely. Yeah. 
You know, there's nothing more heartbreaking than to raise up a child in the ways and truth of God and then see them turn away and go the opposite direction. Right. You know, you can spend a lifetime raising your kids, living out a godly example in front of them like 24-7 and still have children that rebel and go their own way. Yeah. Nobody's perfect. Nobody is. You know, and your kids aren't right. perfect. Well, we can't keep them from sinning. Right. That's right. Their, right. their own entity. Right. You know, Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And this is a translation I was brought up to memorize, you know, as a kid. And it always stuck with me as I was raising my own kids. And I knew my parents, you know, who raised me in God's truth. And I just wanted to do the same thing for my children. Right. And there was a part of my brain that just assumed that if I did everything right to raise my children, then they'd turn out all right. Yeah. But notice how this verse is written in the Passion Translation. It says, dedicate your children to God and point them in the way that they should go. And the values they've learned from you will be with them for life. So that's a whole different kind of understanding of that verse, right. right? And so it says this verse doesn't really make any promises that your children will all turn out perfect and live godly lives for Jesus. It says the things that you taught them will be with them for life. Right. So that's a good thing, right? right. Yeah. Right. You know, when we went through school and we learned our multiplication tables, right? We learned how to write, we learned how to read, and all the things required to graduate. We've hopefully learned all those things, right? <laughs> And we've kept those with us, you know, all our lives. We can choose to use them and prosper in life, or we can reject them and, you know, struggle through life just trying to find a job. If you don't know your multiplication tables, you're not going to be able to handle your money. Right. right. <laughs> you know, that similar principle applies, you know, to what we teach and how we raise our kids. You know, they, they can be taught godly instruction, but it's ultimately their choice to accept, believe, and follow what you've taught them and what you've shown them in, in their own lives right. or in your lives, you know. And the message of the good news of Christ is wonderful and it's life-changing. And as parents, the best way to reveal that good news to our own children and to others is to teach it and live it out on a day-to-day -day basis in our own lives. But despite all of our strenuous hard work and attempts to make sure that, you know, they turn out all right, we may still have children, our family, or our friends all around us who reject that, you know, God's truth. And I just want to share my own experience with the story of my youngest son. My husband and I have two sons. We've raised them both, you know, going to church since they were born. And we've always tried to live a godly example before them and show them how to live as disciples of Jesus. My boys have opposite personalities, and one compliant and one always pushing the boundaries and our buttons. We love them both and have a deep appreciation for their unique character traits. We can see parts of my husband and I both in both of our boys. The two of them have had their share of successes and victories, and both have had their areas of downfall. It's probably true for all of our lives, oh, right? Definitely. For sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, our youngest son was what I learned to call our strong-willed child. <laughs> Anytime I told him not to do something, he would do it. Opposite. Just Yeah, just because <laughs> I put a boundary line in front of him, you know. Yeah. I'm uh, a little like that, too, in my personality. But just like Elijah, <laughs> he received the double portion dose of me, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I told him not to touch the stove he'd reach out in defiance and touch it. Yep. Of course, you know, I'd warn him and tell him, if you do that, you're going to burn your fingers and it's going to hurt. And then, of course, he'd touch it and when I, he'd do it when I wasn't looking, right? Yeah, you know, course. and then he'd come crying to me. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I'd be the loving mother. Yes. 
what the heck were you doing? <laughs> I told you, you so. <laughs> no, I was a little more compassionate. <laughs> so we've all had to, you know, teach our kids lessons and watch and guide and redirect them over and over. But there comes a point in their lives, you know, when they reach adulthood that we have to let them go and, and live and learn on their own. Yeah. I'm not suggesting you just say, okay, you're on your own, dude, and I'm not responsible for you anymore. Yeah, right. I mean, in a way, it's true that when they're out of the house and independently on their own, yes, we aren't responsible for their actions. They are. Right. But while they're in your home, still under your roof, you have a say-so in how things are conducted in your home. It's your territory. Right. 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 So my husband and I have always prayed over the lives of our boys, and we prayed for them before they were even born and still pray over them you know, every day now that they're grown and gone. And we have learned to become prayer warriors over the years. And I'd like to explain that process to y'all as I I just shared the story of our son. You know, my youngest son, the one I described as the strong-willed one, he came to a decision for his salvation when he was about seven years old, which is about the same age I was. Yeah. Told you he's my Mm -hmm. duplicate. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, he came to that decision just like I did out of fear of, of dying and going to hell, you know, but he did love Jesus too. Yeah. I think a lot of us have made that kind of decision just from the preaching we've heard. Right. You know, right. which needs to be corrected in some way. Yeah. I don't know. But another subject for another time. Yes. <laughs> you know, when he was older in his teens, he had more of an understanding of things and he wanted to make sure his salvation was secure and prayed another prayer of salvation. You know, as a teen, he was very successful as a bodybuilder and he developed strong self-discipline in knowing exactly what to eat and when to eat it. You know, I can't even tell you how many ginormous containers of protein we've bought for him (laughs) and how many pounds of meat we've purchased over the years. You know, bison and all. It's so expensive. Yes. Oh, wow. But we just wanted to support him, you know, and help him to be successful in the sport that he'd chosen. And he really did well, you know, in his competitions. And he pursued this avenue until he was 18 and he graduated from high school. And after graduation, he really wanted to try strongman training. So he turned around and he won a competition in our area for Texas Strongest Teen at the age of 18. I mean, he has got drive, you know, and uh, a very strong mind. (laughs) As it started out when he was younger, strong-willed, he still has a strong mind. So that's a good thing. You just got to shape it, right? Right, right. (laughs) During this time, he began to dabble in experimenting with drugs. And no matter how many times we tried to warn him and steer him away from that path, he still was very tempted by the alluring you know, social lifestyle of it all. Friends, concerts, festivals, those were all very exciting to him, and it began to speak louder and louder into his life and mindset than what we'd been speaking into him, you know, his whole life. Yeah. And after high school, he tried community college, but school was just never his strong suit, so he worked at different jobs. He knew the boundaries we set at home, but he didn't want, you know, he really didn't want to do what we said, regardless of what. Yeah. The rules that we laid down. Typical, typical he just didn't want to child. obey them. Right, yeah. right. And the boundaries, our rules, were broken over and over again. And we'd talk to him, and there'd be consequences, you know, regarding privileges being taken away. But sooner or later, he continued on that same path. And my husband and I prayed, and we prayed for the Holy Spirit to speak to his mind and his heart and just turn his heart back to God. Yeah. But his choices continued to take him down a path that was the opposite of the life that we live. Right. And while still living at home and working, you know, he'd bring home articles from New Age type, 
you know, shops like Sage and Crystals and Dreamcatchers oh, and tapestries, you know, he'd hang up on his wall that we didn't agree with, you know, and things that I knew that were not in alignment with what God wanted for his life. Yeah. Right. right. We had long conversations regarding his questioning what he believed about God and his acceptance of different beliefs, which usually led to arguments and a lot of anger on his part and our part, you know. He continued to go deeper into the experimentation of drugs and drinking, and he became very argumentative and angry towards my husband and I and our other son, too. Oh, yeah. You know, things continued to progressively get worse and worse and worse, and my son would start you know, arguments even with me when my husband wasn't home. He would get very aggressive towards me. Yes. And, of course, he wasn't going to do that when my husband was home. Right. You know, and I I would leave the room when he was arguing with me because I knew it was pointless. Yeah. And I'd just go to my bedroom and I'd lock the door and begin praying and, and rebuking the spirit of anger that was working powerfully, you know, in his life. It got pretty ugly. Yeah. And when he wasn't home, I would take an, this was my strategy, I would take anointing oil, and I would anoint every object in his room that, you know, he'd brought into our house and declare that those spirits within those objects, you know, like the dream catcher and the say, all that kind of stuff, the new age stuff, I would just declare that it had no power whatsoever in my home or over my son, and I would rebuke and cast every spirit brought into the, you know, into our home to be sent out by the power and the authority of Jesus Christ that was within me. And I would anoint his bed and his pillow, and I would ask the Lord to give him dreams of of his destiny in the Lord and to remind him of who he truly belonged to. I think that's wow. a really good strategy. Yeah, even for young children. Right. Right. You know, even now, because you don't know what they're they're dealing with outside of the home. You know, right. just regular school right now. Right, school. all the stuff they go through and the right. things that they, they hear every day, yes. stuff they see on their phones, Yeah, right. anoint their phones, you right. know. You just, you just anoint and you pray and you, you, you bless and you just do everything that you can on your end to protect them, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. And that's a good point, Kathy, yeah. what, what's going on in the schools. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, you don't know what right they bring now. home and mm-hmm. they don't even know they have it. It's right. just, you know, a spirit. And that's why you have to be like you know watching over everything they're reading yes that even from the stuff that they get from school is not because these days you have to be like really an overseer of everything yeah on top of it yeah a steward of our kids in their work that they're bringing home because i mean even the questions they have sometimes you're going what yeah who wrote this stuff you know (laughs) yeah after years of going through tough and challenging times, we finally told our son that if he wanted to continue his choice of lifestyle, he'd have to find another place to live. And, when, uh, you know, he agreed. It was time to be independent and live on his own. He was in his 20s, yeah. you know, and he moved out, but that didn't stop us from continuing to pray for him 24-7. I'm sure that was hard for y'all. Yes. Yeah. You know, even though he was time for him to go, but you knew mm-hmm. the situation. And it's like, gosh, are we going to make it worse? Mm-hmm. But you have to take your hands off sometime. Yeah, it you was again. Have to it, let him fall. It was the discipline and the tough love where it yeah. has to. It has to be in place because just allowing him to keep doing what he was doing was yeah. not helping him. Yeah, and our love for him was enabling him to just keep doing his stuff. Right, you know, and that wasn't helping him. Right, right. at all. That's you a good know, point. enabling is also a sin. Right, right, yes, right. It is. You don't think that you're doing that, you know. You don't think that you're doing a bad thing, mm-hmm. but when you're trying to control what God's trying, here you are praying, 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 and God's like, stop doing what you're doing mm-hmm. and let me have it. 
Yeah. Let me take total control of it. Tough yeah. love. It's tough love. Is tough. It is. Yeah. It's tough on the parents. Right. Not as much on the, I mean, it, you know, well, it's it like is. they it say, gets, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Yeah, it really true. does hurt us more. Yeah. Because it's like a knife in the gut to say, right. you're going to have to move out. Yes. And then I'm worried about what's he going to do when he's out there. And we were not even like monitoring him at home. Yeah. But right. it was something we knew we needed to do. And yeah. God really pointed the way to do that. Yep. It's just how God feels for us. Right. right. That parental love that, you know, we just want the best for our kids. Well, that's what he wants for us. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? And he gave us free will, right? He yeah. didn't make us robots so that we'd all perform and do well. Right. He made us with free will yep. to be able yes. to make that choice on our own. And and the whole point is, is that we would come back to him in love and desire to be with him right. on our own choice. Yes. Yeah. You know? Then he celebrates. Right. Right. You know, it was when we joined our Bible study, the group that we always talk about, I shared my struggle, you know, with a couple other ladies at the Bible study. And both of them, you know, shared very similar struggles that they had had, you know, with their sons. And it gave me a lot of invaluable advice that changed everything in my situation. One of the ladies said to me, Laura, it says in Jeremiah 1.12 that God watches over his word to perform it. And that means that when you pray God's word and his covenant promises over your son, God will make sure that his word is completed towards your son or whomever you're praying for. You know, God will see to it that it's completed. Wow. So you can pray that over your family members, not just your kids, but you can pray it over your parents, your relatives, friends at work, co-workers, yes, your boss, anything, siblings, yes, the, the word works. That's something our Bible study leader has taught us over and over. The word works. Talking about God's word, you know. Her words really resonated with me. And all of a sudden, it just hit me that I had just received a new strategy or a battle plan to pray for my son. Because I'd been a warrior for years. But this was like, wait, what? You just gave me new strategy. My my sword just got sharper. (laughs) (laughs) You know, God's word says that it, you know, that If I raised up my son in the way he should go, he wouldn't depart from it, that it would be established in him. So now my strategy changed to pray God's word over my son and that God's word would come alive in him once again, just like it did when he was younger. It says in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So I began praying that God's word would be activated within my son and begin to come alive in him once again. I began making a list of scriptures to pray over his life. And once I made the list, I gave a copy of it to my husband so that you know we could both team up and pray for him. And at the very top of the list, of the scriptures, I wrote the words, we come in agreement together in prayer for our son. It's powerful. Yeah. Wow. And then there was the list of the scriptures, you know, and the first one was Matthew 18, 19 through 20, which says, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. It's true. So some of the other scriptures that followed on my list were Psalm 34, 8 through 10. So in understanding that scripture, this is what we were, I, this is what I would say in my prayer for that scripture. I'd say, we're asking that our son would not only taste and see, 
but crave God's presence more than any drug or alcohol. That's good. Wow. And then when I read Leviticus 11.45, my prayer was, we pray that he would leave his old ways behind and follow after God's holy path for his life. You see what I was doing? Yeah, I was looking up the scriptures, right. and as I read them, I turned it into a prayer it's a personal, using that scripture, right? right? Personalize it. Yeah. Right. For right. your situation. Yeah. So then another one was 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, and I prayed that he wouldn't slip back into old ways of living to satisfy his desires, but to live a holy life unto the Lord. Another one was Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, and I would pray that he would keep his eyes fixed on the correct path and finish strong. Colossians 3, 2 was another one, and I would pray that he would think on the things of heaven and not on earthly things, right. that his mind would be set on those things. You know, Job 33, 14 through 18, it says, I began praying, asking God to give him dreams to guide his decisions for each day and his future plans. Wow. And that was just, you know, a few of the scriptures that we prayed over them every day. And you can do like we did and look up scriptures that pertain to whatever your child, your friend, your family member, your boss, whoever needs prayer to direct their lives on the correct path and ask God to watch over his word for their lives. Yep. You know, sometimes God answers our prayers quickly, and sometimes it takes years for that to happen. Right. But he will answer our prayers. And in our case, it was a couple of years later. You know, it took a couple of years of, of praying like that. And, you know, we'd visit with him periodically. You know, we love him. He'd come in, come over, meet us for meals, things like that. But it was a couple of years later that our prayers for our son were answered. And one day we got a call from our son, just out of the blue, asking if he could come over to our house and talk to us. And he came over and he sat down and he just began bawling, crying, telling us how sorry he was for how he treated us. And he was so filled with remorse and repentance, confessing how wrong he'd been in his thinking and, and the way that he treated us for years. What a blessing. Yes. Yeah. You know, of course, we were weeping and crying yeah. together with him and hugged on him and loved on him. And, you know, he was changed. He was a changed man. I could tell. He was truly repentant. And um, he turned his life away from that lifestyle, and he hasn't gone back. And instead of leaving, you know, his you know, most people you'd say, you need to leave that group behind and you need to move on and get right. your life his clean. His friends. Yeah, yeah, like leave all his friends because he was, you know, staying with friends in a home, right. you know, and stuff like that. And But, you know, instead of leaving those those friends behind, he still remained friends with them and he loved on them and he would tell them how wrong he was about God because a lot of them, you know, were like, oh, dude, you know, I don't want anything to do with God and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, he would talk to them about, how wrong he was and how everything that he he sees clearly now yeah you know that before he was confused and he just didn't think but, but he's like my parents were right <laughs> like who admits that their parents were right, know, right? you know that's, that's huge though that he yeah. stayed he, he was able to still hang out with them and then come back and then even tell them about god right Actually, again i think that again you have to look at your kids you have to look at them and their strengths. Again, he was always a strong person, right? He's always been strong-willed. And it's like whatever he's pointed at, he's all in. It's like he made up his mind. Right. Nothing's going to deter him from Right, that. right. So where others would be tempted to fall back into that lifestyle... He's he was you know and it was still it was still a struggle you yeah. know don't don't get me wrong <laughs> it it took a long time you know for him to just totally not want 
you know, to be a part of that. Yeah. 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 But, but it was still, he had that love for his friends that they would get what he had. Yeah. That's what caused him to go back. And I know that he's got a gift of evangelism. So, you know, you're either an evangelist for the wrong thing or you're an evangelist for the right thing. That's right. You know, and that, that took place, you know, years ago. And uh, now his friends have told him later on in life, you know, now they've told him how much of an influence he's been in their lives to get their lives clean and live a healthier lifestyle, which is right. amazing, right? I'm really, really proud of our son for not turning his back on his friends. That That's just something that I just think is beautiful, you yeah. know. But like I said, you know, he's an evangelist for the right things now. Right. You know, I know full well that not everyone has a victorious outcome because each person ultimately has to make their own choice as to whether to follow Jesus or not. And I wanted to share our story with you guys because it's a testimony of hope and how God's word changed everything in our situation and that God's word totally can be counted on. Wow, that's beautiful, Laura. So, I'm so glad you shared this story. Yeah, you know, both Susan and I can contest that her youngest son is doing really well. Yeah. And his heart for God is just so powerful and inspiring. And God has his hands on both of your sons, and yeah. they will serve the Lord mightily. I praise God and for that all yeah, the time. Yeah. All the time. It, it encourages me so much, and it gives me hope for both of my sons. Mm-hmm. They know the Lord. You know, one of them used to love, love him with all of his heart, but circumstances came up, and he has completely turned away from him and wants nothing to do with Christianity. He was hurt. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. all it boils down to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other one still believes sometimes, but he is so confused by all that is happening around the world, he, he doesn't understand it. So to put it simply, he blames God. Mm-hmm. They have both been deceived by the enemy, but I'm not going to let it stand. Yeah, you know, and, and I think, I'll just say, you know, trauma and hurt and rejection yeah. will will do that. Right. To a lot of a lot of believers, right. you know, and they turn away from the church, they turn away from their parents, and we just got to love them and pray for them and pray the to word over home. them. Yes, yeah. that's the prodigal yep. right there. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to look up specific Bible verses that apply to each of them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read them. I'm going to pray for them. You know, I, I know as you said earlier from Jeremiah one twelve that God watches over His word to perform it. Right, and I know God will see to it that His word is completed in both of my sons. So thank you again, mm. like, like, like Susan said, yeah, for that yeah. wonderful testimony. I know it will encourage others that are listening, too. I think the Lord allows us to go through things so we can help other people. Right. Yes. Right? right? Just like what we're it's doing right now. Right? We're pouring out what God's poured into us right. so we can help other people. Right. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the enemy is always looking for a foothold or a doorway in to destroy our children. And we can absolutely pray for God's protection over them, even in their sin. Mm-hmm. Ask God to protect them, as well as convicting them to see their sin. Pray for the Lord to give them the strength to come out of it. And when they do, be there to welcome them with love and forgiveness. Yeah. Then rejoice, because once they were lost, and now they are found. Mm-hmm. Celebrate that they are now free. Yes. Yes. If you have a prodigal son or daughter testimony, please, please, please share it with us. Your story will encourage others that are struggling in this area. And email it to us at puretruthpodcast3, that's the number three, at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. All right, it's time to close. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on praying for the prodigals. Next week, we will talk about spiritual gifts and what they are for. You know, I just want to close with this scripture, and it's from the Passion Translation, and I really like how it's worded because it just totally gives us the feeling of a father's heart when he welcomes his prodigal home. And it's from Luke 15, 20 through 21, and it says, From a long distance away, his father saw him coming. 
Think about it. Yeah. He was dressed as a beggar. He didn't even have shoes on. And great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son, who was returning home. Amen. Wow. And the father raced out to meet him and swept him up in his arms. And he hugged him dearly and kissed him over and over with tender love. Wow. And then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And the father interrupted his son, and he said, Son, you're home now. Wow. I'm sorry I got so emotional, but that's just how we should all feel when our children return to us. And I know the father in heaven feels the same exact way no matter where you are, what you're going through. You're always welcome back into the Father's arms. Yes. No matter yes. what you've done, because He loves us with an everlasting love. That's right. Yes. It's never ending. Mm hmm. Wow. All right. Today's episode was edited by Caitlin Beck. Caitlin, thank you for all that you do for us. And we mentioned a few articles, so we will put the links to those articles in the notes section of this episode. Before you go, we invite you to please leave a written review anywhere you listen to this podcast. The more positive reviews we receive will lead to more listeners that God can reach. Also, please subscribe. We would appreciate it very much. And we just want to thank you for listening and allowing us to pour pure truth into you today. And we would love to hear from you guys. So please email us at puretruthpodcast3 at gmail.com. All right. And please visit our websites. Uh, mine is kathyzaka.com. laurapotter.us is mine. And mine is SusanOffen.com. And we hope you'll join us next time. And remember, live thirsty. Thank you. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may his face shine upon you and give you his peace. Until next time. Susan, Laura, and Kathy. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives' activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.